May a wonderful truth. I worry sometimes that we're not convinced that all we have is Christ. And you've heard me say many times that um, if, if Christ is enough for you, then, then maybe, maybe this is the church for you. Um, because it's my hope, it's Kyle's hope, it's leadership, it's our hope that we offer Christ. He's sufficient for all things, in all things. All things are for him, through him, and to him. And so we rejoice in him. And to be honest with you today, in Jeremiah chapter 44 and 45, we're going to pick up in chapter 43, you may notice that there is little in the way of looking to Christ. Hopefully we'll get there this morning, but... I want to remind you where we are, and then I'll pray for us. We're going to read through as we go again, just because there's so much ground that needs to be covered biblically. Uh, but before we pray, I want to remind you at the end of chapter 43 uh, and in chapter 44, we see some oracles is how we might describe them. Oracles uh, seem to come from Jeremiah. It's likely they were recorded by a guy named Baruch, who we'll talk about at the end of today's sermon. But some believe these oracles are actually the final oracles of Jeremiah's ministry. So this is what was going on at the very end. We don't hear much from him directly. And we know that his uh, life ended uh, during this captivity, this exile that he was prophesying about. And we get to look through these oracles and then arrive at his scribe Baruch and his own personal take on the matter and how God sought to minister to him through the words of Jeremiah, comforting him. You recall that the people that were left in the land of Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, they sought security, they sought safety in Egypt. God did not like it. Jeremiah's ministry was a ministry of uh, stay, submit to Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire, and you will be preserved, and you will have mercy. And they refused. They were always fearful. They always wanted to go after this attack happened, after the city was taken. They set their, they set their face toward Egypt. Even though God had planned to give them, in some sense, a new start, they took the new start, and they squandered it. Let's pray, and then we will unpack this as best we can. Father, we once again need your mercy, your grace to understand your word, to apply your word. Help us to see your word for what it is. The word of the living God. Eternal, binding, unchanging. Father, and as we hear this word, may we submit ourselves again to it and through it to Jesus, that we may, through Jesus, worship you 
in spirit and in truth this morning. Help us, Father, through the ministry of the Spirit, help me this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the new start of the people of God that we've talked about from the last few chapters, the new start is out the window. God granted everything needed to succeed in the new start. That new start, however, didn't become the faithful way of life that God intended. The lusts for security and safety, the lusts for other gods, drove the people into the situation we find in the text today. They're given over to their desires. And this is a terrifying reality. One of the toughest things about preaching through Jeremiah is knowing how to apply the word of God to the believer or the person that just thinks they're a believer. But what we learn in the book of Jeremiah is there are a lot of people, a lot of people that say they belong to God, and when it came down to it, their faith was proven to be false. It was proven to be placed upon something or someone other than God. It was exposed. Now recently, I think this week, I ran across something. It was just a helpful thought. You know, when people abandon the faith and blame it on a person, maybe they blame it on the fall of a, of a prominent figure. They blame it on a pastor who just did somebody wrong. They blame it on the church because it's a bunch of hypocrites. You know what it really says? It says that their faith was never in Jesus. It was in some people. And that's what we see. When the people of Judah... Their faith is shown to be in the things that they thought God could provide. And when they started to get these things or these feelings or whatever it was that they wanted somewhere else, they were done with God. That's a dangerous place to be because he will give you over to your desires. The theme this morning... God gives the unrepentant over to their desires. God gives the unrepentant over to their desires. I want to give you two warning signs to start with, and then I'm going to give you a four actions, okay? I promise it won't be as long as that sounds. But two warning signs, and we're going to be picking up in 43 with where we left off. You recall how we... Uh, covered briefly the lie that Egypt would be better for them. The lie that Egypt would be better for them. So we're going to pick right up there, 43 verses 8 through 13, and the first warning sign is the same old lies. The same old lies. I hope that you'll be able to, upon the sermon today, be able to identify these warning signs a little more clearly in your own Christian life. Or if you're an unbeliever, the patterns that characterize your life. Beginning in chapter 43 and verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Toponese. Okay, so they're in Egypt now. Take in your hands large stones, hide them in the mortar and the pavement that is at the entrance of the Pharaoh's palace, to Pharaoh's palace in Toponese, in the site in the sight of the men of Judah, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, 
and I will set his throne above these, th these stones that I have hidden. And he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence, those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity, those who are doomed to captivity, and the sword, those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin, and shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. So we know they're believing the lie that Egypt will be better for them. And he explains, hey, you've been to Egypt before. You know your history. Don't believe those same old lies. And here we see Jeremiah acting prophetically to show how God would expose the lies that lure us away from him. He's told to put these stones in cement under the entrance of Pharaoh's palace. And this was a symbolic act. You remember uh, the, the, the yoke that Jeremiah was to put on. It was, a, it was a symbol of what God was going to do to the people. This is much the same. The text unfolds further. We just read the various ways that even the gods of Egypt would be exposed as empty powerless, nothing. But as we've said, this is not the first time God has dealt with the gods of Egypt. You remember the plagues? You remember the plagues of Egypt? Each plague corresponding to a prominent false god in the worship of the Egyptians. And so the God of Israel went point by point in the Exodus to show the Egyptians and the people of God Hey, their gods are nothing. He showed his sovereign authority over these gods. This time, this time he's going to do it again. And this time he's not just, it's not just going to be him against the Egyptian gods. It's going to be a foreign king that overtakes them. So not only can God show that he is better than these gods, that they are nothing, but he's going to take a pagan human king and do it with him. It ought to be clear to them that these lies are not new. That you can find satisfaction in Egypt. That those gods will take care of you. I want to put it in our terms. That you can find fulfillment or satisfaction in the things of the world or the things of the flesh. They knew their history. They knew what God had done before. And yet the people set their face. To Egypt. You know, many of us ought to be able to spot the lies like this one. It's the same old lie. The very thing from, from which God saved you is, is calling your name again, right? The very thing that destroyed you before, you start to think, maybe, maybe it will be different this time. And then your desires start to drown out any rational thought. And your rotten nature begins to trigger those impulses. And if only God would be gracious to show you the emptiness of those gods before you make the trek to their temples, before you bow down at those altars, before you look back and see the trail of 
destruction left in the wake of your inability to spot the lie. You can probably recall the time this week when you walked that way, you believed that lie. And you've done it, we talked about it in Sunday school today, a hundred times before, you still do it. It's the same old lies. It's the same old lies, but also the second warning sign, you ought to be able to see the lies, but it's the same old ways. It's the same old ways. It's deja vu. Right? We've been here before. We should be able to answer the question for these people. They ought to be able to answer the question at the beginning of chapter 44. How did we get here? And we know how it goes because we've walked this way before. Same old ways. Let's read there. 44, 1 through 10. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt at Migdal at Toppenes at Memphis and in the land of Pathros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the disaster that are brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation and no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger, in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out, kindled on the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation, as at this day. And now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers? evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. You've been this way before. So right here, God recounts the pattern of behavior in the history of Israel and lays it out in simple, what we may say, chiastic formula. Kyle has explained this before to you. It's a way of writing and it really summarizes the pattern. And it's even written in Hebrew like a pattern. Basically, here's the formula. God sends disaster because Israel disobeys. The prophets preach rescue Israel refuses, and then God works disaster. That's the pattern. That's the pattern for you and me. We walk these same old ways. Y'all know that relationship that you have with someone that goes through similar types of patterns? It may be your, your spouse. It may be your spouse, and it's like, man, the same patterns of interaction, 
you know, it happened again. I did this. I said this. You do this. I respond this way sinfully in my anger. You do this. I do that. This is how it goes every time. So why don't we just skip to the end and find the solution, right? This is the pattern. Those relationships become exhausting at times because you don't know how to break the cycle. You know what God is doing? He's flipping the lights on to show them, hey, we need to break this pattern. Believer, what's it going to take to break that pattern in your life? More often than not, it's simply the fact that you do not know God's word, and so you cannot claim the promise of victory. It says, verse 7, and now. And he asks these questions. Why cut yourself off from me? Why provoke me? Have you forgotten what happened before? Bregman says these questions right here become accusatory. They become the charges that God is leveling against his people. And then they continue with their face set toward Egypt. It's the same old lies. It's the same old ways. We've been here before. And honestly, as I preach today, I hope you feel that sense of exhaustion. If you've been here for, say, the majority of Jeremiah sermons these past, what, year, year and a half? A year and a half nearly, we've been walking through, or more than a year and a half, we've been walking through Jeremiah. I hope you're exhausted at the thought of these same old things happening, happening again, and then in your own life. I hope you feel it. But having said that, it's not my hope today that we will belabor the themes. I just hope the Spirit would make them relevant, real to you today. So there's two warning signs that we got there, but then I want to turn your attention to four actions of the unrepentant. Four actions of the unrepentant. And we could almost read these as a progression First off, running. Running from verse, verses 11 through 14, chapter 44. Read with me. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt, they shall fall by the sword, by famine, by and they shall be consumed. Excuse me. From the least to the greatest, they shall die by the sword or by famine. They shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, with pestilence. So that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return to dwell there. For they shall not return except some fugitives. They're running. And it's not just found in these verses. It's the theme of these chapters. They are turning away from God and they are running as hard as they can away from that discipline. He told them to stay. They won't accept it. But they'll attempt to run from his judgment that's destined to come to Egypt, as Jeremiah's already said. And even if they do escape judgment somehow, he says they're going to keep on running. 
You know, one of the best lessons that I have learned, really just being an adult man, but specifically a pastor of a church, is you can't run from conflict. You can't run from problems, and you definitely cannot run from the consequences of sin and expect a good outcome. The issues only multiply. The consequences only deepen. They only get more complex and more damaging in your life. But because they have determined to run away from God, God's response here is a harsh one. And we ought to hear it. God's response is a harsh one. Remember, being given over just as they set their face toward Egypt, God says, verse 11, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all Judah. We've hit dangerous territory here in applying this text to our lives. Cut off. This is excommunicated. This is declared illegitimate. You get that? All this while, all this while, the people of Israel thought that they were the children of God. And then he says, you have proven to be illegitimate. This has implications for us. When we walk through these texts, we're not talking about We're not talking about people who once knew God and had this lovely relationship with him and worshiped him in spirit and in truth and then went away and lost that salvation. What he says here, you were never a part of who I am. You were never a part of my people. You were never my children. You have proven to be illegitimate, exposed as a fraud. This week I ran across a news story. There was a press conference in Tampa. Maybe you saw the same thing. Press conference in Tampa. I'm not sure when it was, but I saw the video this week. And there was, a, you know, your typical press conference, a guy standing at the podium, probably the uh, chief of police or something, and he's talking about something that happened. And there's a woman standing to his side, and she's doing sign language, okay? She's doing sign language. So some people apparently noticed that her signs didn't seem right. Come to find out that this woman is a a convicted uh, offender, a criminal, multiple times over. She showed up at the police office and she basically said, I want to offer my signing skills for the police. So they put her in this conference, this uh, press conference, and then she's making all kind of gestures that don't make any sense at all. (laughs) So you see, this woman went in under the guise that she was something, and she turned out not to be. She was a fraud. She was a fraud. To the watching eye, I wouldn't know any difference. She looked legitimate to me. Turns out, she was illegitimate. Turns out, these people, illegitimate. Even when destruction comes, the idea is that they'll be running from God still as fugitives. The fugitives lives under the delusion that he'll escape, yet when his end comes, and it will come, he'll suffer the punishment of running from God. He might think he's outsmarted God 
when he steps foot in Judah again, but his judgment is only more imminent. The unrepentant keep running from God, number one. Number two, the unrepentant, the action of the unrepentant is ruining. Ruining. Before I read the text, 15 through 19, I want to remind you of a passage that is also very terrifying. Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, he talks about how there are some who have shipwrecked their faith. They've shipwrecked their faith. He names a couple of guys and then he says, I have handed them over to Satan so that they will learn not to blaspheme. Terrifying terrifying, ruining, shipwrecking, if you will, their faith. 44, 15 through 19. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt answered Jeremiah, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed. Make offerings to the queen of heaven. This is a pagan God. Pour out drink offerings to her as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and officials, the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, when we made offerings to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image and poured out drink offerings to her? Ruining, ruining whatever they had in terms of the practiced faith. And there's a progression that we see here of ruining the faith. I want to walk through it very quickly. I'll just name it here. Verse 16, we stop listening. We stop listening. That's the very get-go, okay? You recall, as we've recalled in our Wednesday night study, those of you, Adam and Eve, the very first thing, let's get them doubting God's word. Did he say it? Don't forget that truth. We stop listening. First off, that's the first step to ruining your faith. Secondly, verse 17, we share worship. We share worship. 17a, the beginning of 17, we will do everything that we have vowed, making offerings to the queen of heaven, pour out offerings to her as we did, our fathers did, our king's officials, city of Judah, Judah, cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. We stop listening. We share worship. Here's the thing. God is the only one that deserves your worship. He's the only one that deserves your worship. So when that God that you have in some sense committed yourself to rises up again and demands your worship, you must remember you got to go back to the one who deserves it. Listen to what he says. We stop listening. We share worship. And then verse 17, we start liking it. A dangerous place when you start 
man, really just enjoying your sin. You really just enjoying false worship. You're reveling in that that bit of momentary gratification, that that quick satisfaction. You start liking it. What did they say? For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. We stop listening. We share worship. We start liking it. And then we suppose we're better off. We suppose we're better off. Verse 18, since we left, make, left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything. Oh, can you believe the affront to God? We have lacked everything. What do we say to that? Those of us who sing, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. We suppose we're better off. And if you're like me, we've seen people dear to us ruined in the faith, shipwrecked by this progression right here. What begins with distance from God's word culminates in a supposed discovery or enlightenment. You know, when people go this way, Kyle and I discussed this several days ago, people that go this way, they won't tell you that your Christianity is worthless. They'll just do their best to show you how they've arrived at a higher knowledge than you have. And in doing so, they'll cast every possible doubt on the faith that you still hold dear. Their experience or their journey to discovery will not be denied them. And if we're not careful, brothers, sisters, we will walk this way, ruining our faith. Third action of the unrepentant, resisting. Again, this is found throughout. In a lot of ways, these texts are summary. Resisting, 20 to 23. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given, this, given him this answer, as for the offerings that you have offered in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings, your officials, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come to his mind? The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without an inhabitant, as it is this day. It is because you made offerings, because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. They were resisting. You notice Jeremiah doesn't even address their claims. He knows that they are patently false. How do you tell someone with an experience that their experience has led them into a false religion worthy of eternal condemnation. Rather, 
Jeremiah points them to the holiness of God and his perfect work in disciplining his people. Discipline they continued to resist. At the end of things, at the end of things, do, do we just expect God to overlook sin and only do the things that we want him to do? This is what they, this is what their claim amounted to. God, we worship you for what you can do for us. We worship you for what you can give to us. And now you're not doing it, so we're done. They resisted. A right understanding of God's merciful action toward our sin should bring about a softening of heart, not a hardening. And our response, softening or hardening, indicates whether the Spirit of God is at work in us or if we're in danger of being given over to our desires. Do you see how the do you see how the discipline of God for the believer becomes a welcome thing? It becomes a delight to know that God is shaping us, growing us, perfecting us, making us holy. It's this theme throughout Jeremiah that this people has lost. They resisted. Running, ruining, resisting, and then finally, regretting. Regretting. Chapter 44, verses 24 through 30. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have made to make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn. By my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, as the Lord God lives. Behold, I am watching over them for disaster and not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number, and all the remnant of Judah who came to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. 25, they're given over. There we see it. You made vows to the queen of heaven, go do them. 
Go do them. The Lord withdraws. Verse 26. I hope y'all get the, the, the weight of what he says here. He says, y'all will never utter my name again. Don't take it lightly, believers, that today we have gathered and we have spoken the name of Jesus. We have sung the name of Jesus. We have invoked the name of Jesus because he is our only hope. God says to them, you'll never say my name again. What greater judgment than to see the mention of the Lord, the praises due to him, the thanksgiving, the worship, the recounting of blessings, all silenced. You can have your way, but you will regret it. As we come to a conclusion with chapter 45, I want you to notice again, as I said from the get-go, there is no hope in the text today. You probably walk away and it's like, that's, that's one of the worst sermons I've ever heard. There is no hope in the text today. No call for repentance. There's no opportunity. It's done. There's no clear gospel. There's only a statement of the bitter end of rebellion and sin. And if you feel that sense of heavy despair, let it drive you to the lamentation that was characteristic of Jeremiah. By virtue of his relationship with Jeremiah, we may say Baruch. We're going to read about Baruch in chapter 45. But briefly, you who continue to despise the word of the Lord, I just hope it's not too late for you. Every week, Kyle and I plead, plead, plead with you to believe on Jesus and to have salvation, to know God through him. And yet it seems that there's always that face that is set toward Egypt. And it grieves me. I grieve over the sin of people. Do you grieve? These are people that you love. They may not be here today. Maybe they've never stepped foot in this building. Do you grieve over their lostness? Do you grieve over the fact that they have built their lives as an altar to worship false gods far and wide? 
but maybe, maybe the altar belongs to you as well. Maybe today is a day of repentance. We look at chapter 45. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, woe is me. For the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning and I find no rest. Thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built I am breaking down. What I have planted I am plucking up. That is, the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord, but I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. You see, Baruch is bearing the weight of ministry. We saw Jeremiah do it all throughout the book. We're going to continue to see it for several more chapters, a few more weeks. And we see the right-hand man, Baruch, is now adopting this burden-bearing alongside Jeremiah and them alongside of God. Baruch shows the toll that it takes on a person to carry on ministering to a disobedient people. He watched the people get cut down and cut off. He watched them being uprooted and made a complete humiliation before the eyes of all the earth. He carried the burden of their disobedience upon himself. He could do nothing but cry out to God in his moment of despair. And there was one who come after him who would bear the full burden of our disobedience in a greater way. Baruch points us to Jesus. He would be cut down. He would be humiliated on our behalf. He would bear shame and guilt for us and in his moment of despair would cry out for what? For our forgiveness. And he would receive his life as a prize of victorious obedience to the Father, victorious obedience that is ours through repentance and faith. Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He became our sin so that we would be made righteous. Do you know that today? God have mercy on your soul if you reject that truth again. We respond in repentance. The Lord will save you. The Lord will save you if you repent of sin and believe on Jesus today. Believer, you've heard the call repentance. 
Father, help us in our time of response. God, we get a glimpse of your glory in Christ, and we are in many ways like Baruch, woe is me. Like Isaiah, I am undone. Father, help us to realize, to recognize maybe for the first time the hope that is found in Jesus alone today. Father, maybe maybe we need to take time and sit in lamentation. The Spirit knows our need. Father, send him for our aid in all things. Father, may Christ be exalted, we pray in his name. Amen.